if you would uh, pray with me and then we're going to look at Ephesians four together. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to gather together uh, this morning as your people. We thank you that you've given us your word. Uh, We thank you that you've given us the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we ask that you would move freely in this place, that you would take the eternal truths of your word and that you would apply them to our hearts and our minds this morning. Uh, We confess that as we open your word and as we spend time and as we seek you in these things, we can't do any of this without you. And so we ask that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds this morning. We pray that as we spend time in your word, uh, that you would be glorified in it. We pray that we would see you more clearly, what you're doing uh, in and through us. Uh, We pray uh, that you would convict us where we need convicting that you would uh, point us fully to the finished work of Jesus as you do, and that we would leave here uh, having seen your glory more fully. Uh, We thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I read uh, a couple of articles this week and I was thinking about just with this sermon and some different things and I'm always kind of surprised. I like to go and look up statistics and hard facts and different things. Sometimes I feel like, oh, I have a good grasp on that or to some degree. But then when I read the statistics on whatever it is, it always kind of throws me a little bit. And so this week I went and looked up, uh, I was reading about uh, self-help in our country, the the industry that is self-help or or self-improvement. And and as I was reading, there's a broad category. They put a lot of things under that heading of self-improvement or self-help, but it would include uh, that are books that are written conferences, all sorts of different things. And then under that, they, they kind of lump in uh, stress management, weight loss, positive thinking. All these sorts of things kind of fall under that category of self-improvement or self-help. But what was uh, striking to me as I read that and looked at all that is I said that that industry in the United States is an $11 billion industry each year. $11 billion, B, billion. Uh, that that's that much of people are, are seeking different things on on how to be better and how to grow and all sorts of different things. And, and at first it was shocking. But then the more I thought about it, I thought it doesn't really surprise me. Like, I think we do uh, innately want to be better at things. And so whether it's eat healthier or exercise or, or stress management or po- positive thinking or, or whatever it may be. But eleven billion dollars. And so the, the interesting thing, though, is when you when you see that and you see the hunger for that in our society, what has happened is that has kind of crept its way into the church. Uh, the church has kind of embraced or started to kind of interlace with this idea of self-help. And so what happens is the church kind of takes some of those things and starts to operate in that way. And what we end up seeing is, is sermons and, and different things that are really self-help, but just kind of packaged in a Christian package. And so we end up with uh, maybe on one end, a lot of Christian slogans uh, that are kind of vague. They're kind of sort of kind of encouraging, but I don't know that they really help us in the things that we want to accomplish. Like we say things like let go and let God. But how does that work in your sanctification and you're growing to be more? It's not a bad thing. I don't think it's a wrong thing to say. They say let go and let God. And then you go, OK, now what? What do I do out of that? And so sometimes we we operate in this kind of vague um, cliches that here's these things that will help you. Uh, We say stuff like Jesus, take the wheel. 
right? So we start to we take our theology and we base it off really bad country music. And then we start to make that the way that we're going to grow. And it's like not all that helpful. But then the other extreme is we end up with what some theologians have called. And, and I'll explain this in just a second. They call it therapeutic moral deism. And it's rampant in the Christian church. And I want you to think about that for just a second, what that phrase means. Therapeutic just means healing or beneficial, helpful, uh, moral, good, right, decent, ethical. Deism is just a general belief in God. And so churches begin to function that way. I'm going to give you some helpful things that are ethical and we're going to sprinkle God on the top. And then if you apply those to your life, you'll get better. And so what it ends up being is just things that you do. Morals that you apply to your life and you go about doing it. So maybe five steps to a better marriage. Here's five things you can implement into your life and it'll make it better. Again, it's not wrong. It's not bad, but it's not the gospel. And it's not the way the Bible says that God actually changes us. And so where do we kind of shake out and all that? It's hard sometimes to know. And so this week and next week, we're going to talk a little bit in Ephesians 4. It's almost kind of like a series within our series in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4 of how do we change? How does change actually happen in our life? And it's really a two-part today. And so forgive me because uh, I think I was losing sleep over thinking about it last night. I'm just going to say this up front. Today we're going to look at Ephesians 4, about 17 to verse 19. And it's pretty hard it's almost the negative, difficult side of what stunts our growth. And then next week, we're going to talk about how we put off our old self and put on our new self. And so just forgive me up front because it's really a two-part sermon. It was, it was a, a choice about Thursday. Either it's going to be like an hour and a half long or it's going to be two parts. And so I chose to do two parts. But where it leaves us is this is fairly heavy, the verses that we're going to look at, because they're fairly difficult to wrestle with, the things that stunt our growth, when we want to grow as Paul's calling us to grow. And so what we see in Ephesians 4, really in this whole chapter, is he's calling us to live out this new life that we are in Christ. He's getting to some very practical application. And he's telling us to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. And then he talks about how God has equipped people within the church to help us grow up into a fullness of what God has called us to be in Christ. And if you were with us last week, we said that in chapter four and verse 15, that's a pretty good definition of discipleship, of what we're aiming to do as a body of believers, that we would grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, that we want to grow up into Jesus, that Paul's talking about us being equipped, that we can uh, be mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's a pretty good definition of what we're seeking to do with one another. And last week we talked about how part of that is speaking the truth and love to one another, that we have to say the hard things sometimes and then point each other to the gospel and how Jesus has done all of it. And what Paul was doing last week is he made that uh, comparison between a child and then a mature believer, a child that's easily blown by every wind of doctrine and things that come and they take stuff in and they're easily moved. And he says a mature believer doesn't look like that. And he's going to give us another uh, comparison here. And he's going to say, don't walk like the Gentile or the unbeliever. And so I want us to look at that together, because in what he says in those few verses uh, helps us to understand, I think, in a lot of ways, why we stun our growth and wanting to grow into the maturity that God has for us in Jesus. 
And so if you would look with me at Ephesians chapter four, we're going to pick up in verse 17 there this morning. And so Paul says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so he made the, the, uh, the uh, analogy last week of the child growing up. And here he talks about don't walk as, as unbelievers, those that don't know Christ, And he points and he says here, and if you'll notice what Paul says in Ephesians 4, remember who he's writing to. Uh, We've been in Ephesians for a while now, so it's been a while since we're in in chapter 1. But chapter 1 is he's writing to the saints that are in Ephesus, the saints being believers. We've talked about that in several weeks. Saints, we are saints because we are united with Christ and he is being formed in us, not because we are perfect, because Jesus is perfect. And so he's writing to believers, but he says, you talking about believers must no longer walk as an unbeliever. And then he explains what that looks like. And he talks about this description here, and it's a pretty serious description. He says they walk in the futility of their minds. And I want you to think about what he's saying when he says that. Sounds pretty harsh. They're walking in the futility of of their minds. And so what Paul is not saying, let's just be clear, is that unbelievers are not smart. It's not a matter of intelligence. And so if you're here today and you go, I'm not sure what I believe, I'm not exactly sure I am. And then you hear the Bible say you're walking in the futility of your minds and be offended by that. But what it's saying is to see the fullness of the way God has designed us to live and who we are and the way things go together. We have to see how God fits into that and what he's done in Jesus. And that if we're walking apart from that, that we're walking in a futility of our minds. Paul will say this elsewhere. For example, in in Colossians chapter two, it says that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full of assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so the idea is that we have to see how Jesus holds all things together, that he is the center of all history, that our identity is found in Christ. And if we don't see that, we're walking in a futility of our minds, right? Because apart from Christ, apart from a saving uh, work of God in your life, we believe the lie that we're the center of the world, that it's all about us and it's all about me and my wisdom. And it's not about God and what he's done. And he says, if we're walking that way, we're walking in a futility. And so Paul says, don't walk that way anymore. And I think the uh, connotation here is that there's people in the early church and the church of Ephesus and where this letter would have been circulated that are walking that way. But they are walking in the futility of their minds. There's baby believers that are coming into the church and I think they've been saved and they understand, but they're still walking in their old ways. And he said, don't do that. And I want us to consider this morning the weightiness of this as I read this over and over this week. And he makes this challenge. But I think the truth is that sometimes we go through cycles in our life where we go back to walking this way. 
And I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm not saying that you haven't really come to faith in Jesus. But there's times when we begin to walk in the futility of our mind. And we begin to walk like the rest of the world walks. And Paul's warning us of what that looks like. Because what he's saying is when you do, you're living to opposite. You're antithetical to who you now are in Jesus. You've been united to Christ, with Christ. He is being formed in you. You have the Holy Spirit, but yet we can go back to ignoring him and walking uh, apart from him. And I don't know that I can say this. This is my uh, thought on the matter. I don't know that the Bible says this expressly. And so I want to be clear when I say this. But I think it is more miserable for a Christian to come to a saving faith in Jesus and to know him and to be made new and then not to walk in step with him than it is to just not even know him. To be walking opposite of who you are in Christ. And so Paul warns us and he says, don't do that. Don't walk that way as an unbeliever walks. And so I want us to think about this for just a moment. As a believer. When we get into those cycles where we're not walking that way. We said last week the importance of following and growing up into the fullness. The discipleship being every part of our life. And we talked about being a child that's easily moved by the winds of doctrines and deceitful schemes. And what Paul's saying, and he'll come back to in chapter 6, is there is a war for your ideas, a war for your mind going on. There's a spiritual warfare happening. And so that none of us gets saved and becomes a Christian and then just floats along in neutral. We're either following Jesus or we're getting pulled back. There's no neutral. We're being bombarded with ideas and things at every moment of every day throughout our lives. Particularly now in the time that we live in, in so many ways. I want you to think about what you take in each week and what influences the way you think and the way you operate and the way you respond. There's no neutral. You are being discipled every moment of every day constantly from all the things that you're taking in. And I want you just to think about what it is that you take in each week. What does that look like in your life? What are the voices that you're listening to? Who are the people that are informing the way you think about the world around you? If we want to grow up into the fullness of what God has called us to be, there's some things that Jesus tells us of how that works. And oftentimes we act like, well, I'm saved and I'm good and I love Jesus and I'll come and sit here for an hour on Sunday. And then we live the rest of our lives like he's not even part of it. And we just kind of float along like it's in neutral and there is no neutral. And so I want you just to think about what that looks like in your life. Are you walking in the way with this new engine, this new thing that you are in Jesus in step with him? Jesus speaks very clearly on what it looks like, right? Paul's saying he wants us to grow up into the fullness of what we are called to be in Jesus, to mature manhood, to be a mature believer, to grow up into these things. Well, what does Jesus say, say that looks like or how we get there, or how part of that is? Jesus says, if you want to bear fruit, you'll what? It's in John 15. You will abide in my word and my word will abide in you. 
and you will bear much fruit. When Jesus talks about fruit, it's just an analogy of of living a life in the way that he's called us to live it, to be uh, productive, to be living in step with the spirit, to be walking in the ways God's called us to walk. And he says part of the way that that happens is that you abide in his word and his word in you. And so I want you to think about what that looks like to abide in his word. Abide just means to stay connected to have it be speaking into you. Uh, Paul will say it in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you re- richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so when we look here about the idea of how we stunt our growth. How we're not doing everything that he's wanting us to. To be growing into here in this chapter. And then he gets here and he says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. How do we as a believer walk in the futility of our minds as the Gentiles do? We don't abide in him. We're not letting him inform the way we see and operate and live and walk. And I think, unfortunately, in our culture today, we end up doing that. A lot of times we are bombarded with so many things, so many distractions, so many voices speaking. And we can easily begin to just start to sow some uh, some habits into our life that aren't helping us to walk as Jesus has called us to. And so what does that look like in the time we spend? And I want you to think about that for just a second. If we're really talking here about wanting to grow up into the fullness of what God has called us to be in Jesus. If you were to do an audit on your life of how you spend your time and what it is that you're taking in and what informs your thoughts and the way that you're thinking through things and the way that you're seeing the world, what would that look like? Right? Like if you go in and uh, you meet with a nutritionist, you want to eat healthier, you want to be in better shape. Or maybe you go to the doctor and you get a bad report. Your cholesterol's higher, your blood pressure's higher, different things. And the doctor says you need to eat better. And so you go and you meet with a nutritionist. What do they do? The first thing they're going to say is write down everything you eat. Write down what you're taking in on a daily basis. Let's look at all of it. If you've ever done that, it's kind of scary. You start writing everything down. You're like, man, I didn't know I did that. Right? Little snacks or little things that you're eating and you're taking it in and you don't realize. But none of us would believe that we would take in continually terrible stuff and then expect to be really healthy. And so I want you to think about that for a second. What does it look like in your life? What is it that you're feeding on? What are you feeding your mind with? Romans 12 says that we'd be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And so our minds feed the way our heart's affections operate. And so what does that look like in your daily life? I think the hard part is the culture we live in, whether it's our phones, whether it's the television, whether it's satellite radio, whatever it is, there's something always vying for our attention. And in a lot of ways, I think it's kind of like uh, 
the, the proverbial frog in the boiling water. We start to sow things into our lives that become habits in the way that we operate and we don't even realize what's happening. And we spend so much time seeking all these different things. And our lives are busy and we have lots going on. I feel like everybody I talk to about growing in our relationship with the Lord, what I hear regularly is I'm so busy. So what does your time look like in God's word and spending time with the Lord? I'm so busy, it's hard to find time. And so here's the question I want to ask and I want you to really wrestle with. Is that true? That you don't have time? I was deeply convicted as I read this over and over and started to jot down the things that I do during the day. How many times I pull my phone out and check the score from last night? Right? The Warriors won. I know that because I checked it this morning. I check those things or something pops in my head and I pull my phone out and I begin to do it. Or I can get home and I can be really tired. It's been a long day and a whole lot of things going on and it's easier to plop down on the couch and turn on Netflix. I'll just watch a show for a few minutes or I'll just read this or I'll just look at that or I'll just spend a few minutes. And you know what happens? Suddenly the way that you unwind is mindless games, filling your mind with inane things that don't help you love Jesus anymore. And we can begin to do that over and over and over again. It was deeply convinced the last year, Joanne and I sold our house. And all these things fell through and all this stuff, but then we were looking for a house. I spent so many hours looking at what houses were for sale. On my phone, hours on end. It's like, why am I obsessing over a house? There's nothing wrong with looking for a house or finding a place to live or any of those things. But that became my thing every day. Every free moment is looking for a house. And so what I would like you to consider or just to think about is how do you deal with stress? How do you deal when you're exhausted? How do you use the free moments of your day and your time? What are the things that you're excited to be able to look up or see or experience or watch or listen to or whatever it may be? And would you consider if you added all that time up, what does that look like? And then I want you to hear what Paul says. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Does that look like your life at all? I'm heartbroken when I sit down and I ask people, what does your time look like with the Lord? I don't have time for that. I don't have time to read my Bible. Really? Is that true? Or is it just that we've bombarded ourselves with all these other things? And they're pulling us away. And what Ephesians says and what Paul says right here in chapter 4 and again in chapter 6 is they are deceitful schemes designed to keep you from dwelling richly in Christ. It's not neutral. There is no neutral. 
if we want to grow up into the fullness of Jesus and what he's designed for us. It doesn't work by coming and sitting here for an hour on Sunday and ignoring him the rest of the week. It doesn't work like that. And here's the thing that I want to encourage you with. God's designed to you for so much more than that. But I also want you to balance that with the seriousness of what he says here. He says you shouldn't walk in the way that the Gentiles walk. But then look at what he says. Verse 19, they have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. There is no neutral. You can open your phone up. And that can be the way you deal. I'm going to read this. I'm going to look at this. I'm going to play with this. But I hear so often how people open their phone up and it's just to unwind and it's just this. And then all of a sudden one day, it's not just to unwind and look at this. It's to look at pornography. Believers that are struggling. There it is in my pocket and I open it up and now I'm looking at these things. That Paul would say, you ought not be. That's not who you are in Jesus. Or how often we hear the guys that come into Jericho house and they were struggling with this. And so I would just have a drink when I get home and then it was two and then it was four and then it was six. And then I was passed out. They go, I don't know how I got to that place. And so God calls us to something far greater than that. There's a seriousness to what he's saying here. The calluses that begin to form on our heart. The ways that we begin to deal with things. And I know this is a heavy, kind of weighty, there it is, that's what it says. But then look at what he says in verse 20. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through sinful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. He says, that's not you anymore. You're not called to live that way. It's miserable to live that way. To be out of step with the thing that you now are in Jesus. But the truth is that a lot of times we begin to build these habits into our life and it becomes difficult. It's like anything. Repentance to change and begin to move in the way God calls us is oftentimes difficult. He says in the power of the Holy Spirit, this is who you are. You put off your old self and you begin to live in these ways of who you are in Jesus. And you begin to make those steps and you begin to operate in new ways. And so next week, we're going to talk about that idea of taking off your old self and putting on these new things and beginning to form those new habits and the way that works. But I don't want you to leave just beat up over what this says. I want you to be encouraged. Since that's not who you are in Jesus, put off your old self, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, which is what? That in Jesus, you are loved completely and totally. And it's all because of what Christ has done and nothing else.
that you're a beloved child of God and it relies completely and solely on what Jesus has done for you. By grace, through faith, you have been saved. But when we live out of step with that, it's difficult and it's hard. And it's not the life that Jesus has called you to. Jesus comes and says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. It's better what he has for us. And that's what Paul's saying. You shouldn't walk this way. There's something far greater. As I thought about that, I was reminded of a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. But like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Are we giving up, growing up into a fullness of who Christ is to stare at a phone? To watch a stupid show on Netflix? We're far too easily pleased. I don't want to spend my life like that. I want to grow up into the fullness of what Christ has. I want to believe what Paul says in Ephesians 3. He can do far more abundantly than what we can ask or think. I don't think that's watching TV on the couch. At least I hope it's not. It kind of stinks. That we grow up into the fullness of what he has for us. And so clear application to this would ask you to do this this week. Would you take time to consider how you spend your time. Just this week, throughout a couple of days, would you stop and just jot down what you spend your time on? What's filling your thought life? What are the voices that are speaking into you? Are you listening more to, to cable news than you are to what God's Word says? Are you being informed more by your favorite television shows than abiding in God's word? And begin to take that step and realize that as we're convicted of that, that that is God's grace in our life. That he doesn't want to let us settle for that. Now, I want to be real careful as I end here. That doesn't mean you can't watch TV. It doesn't mean that you can't go do different things, but it does mean that we should stop and take Stock of of what we're doing and the way we're spending our time. And are we abiding in Jesus in the way that he calls us to? So if you would, would you take your bulletin with me for just a moment? You'll notice there right after the sermon, it says confession and renewal. Proverbs 5 and Psalms 94. The ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he examines all his paths. The way you spend your time and the way you operate and what you're filling your mind with and the things that you do, God already knows. He knows all of it. There's nothing hidden from his sight. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach. 
from your word. That when God corrects us, that is a good thing. That is a blessing. And so if there's a conviction of, of the way you're operating or the way you're spending time or you're maybe stunting your growth and growing up into the fullness of what Jesus would have for you, would you bow your head and take just a moment and confess that to God? You don't have to pray it out loud. You don't have to tell anyone. But would you take seriously that if God's bringing conviction in your life, it's because he loves you? He wants something better for you? Lord, forgive us when we care about things that are far less than your glory. Would you show us in the power of your spirit working in us the things that maybe we need to lay down, the things that we need to pick up as we need to seek you more fully? Would you give us the desire? Would you give us people in our life that would help us? That it would encourage us to walk more fully in who you are and what you've done for us. We do confess that we blow it regularly. That we do seek other things. That we seek comfort and joy and pleasure and things outside of you. And forgive us when we do that. Would you look at the next verse there that says renewal? If I claim to be without sin, I deceive myself and the truth is not in me. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. If I claim I have not sinned, I make him a liar and his word is not in me. Since I live in the spirit, may I also walk in the spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. For the great grace that you extend to us. We thank you for the glory of 1 John 1 9. And if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray today that we would take the steps necessary to follow you more fully, but that we would do so relying on your grace, realizing fully that we're not saved by our performance. And we thank you for that. We thank you that it is your grace and your grace alone. Would you continue to remake us, to conform us to your image, that we would grow up to be the men and women that you've called us to be in Jesus, and that it would be for your honor and your glory. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we come for the, the ushers are going to come and take the offering right now, and we're going to sing this song together. As we do, would this song be our prayer in response to everything that we've talked about this morning together?